This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Christy Landwehr in Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for this Tuesday, October 15th. And we're at episode 2290. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. Feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? Help do I can. Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. And, of course, Christy is back. She is here the third Tuesday of every month, and they seem to be coming around with alarming regularity. Uh, She has two (laughs) more Tuesdays in this decade. And then we'll be starting a new decade. So um, I've been focusing on that for some reason, Christy, and maybe it's because I'm getting older, and when the decades switch, it's like, holy crap. (laughs) That's really interesting because, you know, I'm going to age myself here, but I'm just going to say it. I'm proud. So 1989, I graduated from high school. 1999, I got married. So I'll tell you, I am all about the end of decade. <laughs> what, so what's going to happen this year? What's the, I bi- hope You only have nothing, a, a month, two and a half months left to do the big thing. Calmness. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> just calmness. Your husband's happy to hear that because divorce is about the only option there. So <laughs> that's right. We yeah. don't want that. <laughs> exactly. So, been twenty years. That's that's good. That's a good long time. Yeah, you're in it for good now. You can hear all of the past episodes of the Certified Horsemanship Association by going to horseradionetwork.com. Jennifer, what's coming up on today's show? Now you ask me. Coming up on today's show, Colin Schmidt joins us, and he has the buzz on Stable Buzz Management Software. And next up, a trio of speakers that will be at the upcoming CHA conference. Tammy Grainer, Diana Beersley, and Celia King are going to talk about equine-assisted learning for the business world. And then following close on their heels, Molly Vaco talks about learning styles of horses. And wrapping things up, Pauline Burns takes on trail improvements for all sorts of trails. And my favorite part of the day, happy cheese curd day, everybody. Go out and celebrate with some poutine, eh? <laughs> I love the teen. I had some the other day, actually. So, um, you have a conference coming up. We do. And just a reminder to everyone listening, if you put in HRN for Horse Radio Network in our coupon code box, you can get the come to the conference, um, which is going to be in upstate New York near Buffalo at Houghton College in Houghton, New York next week. Actually, it's going to be October the 24th through the 26th. And come one, come all. It's not just for equine professionals. It's for everyone. And we let you ride wonderful school horses and sessions with great people like Julie Goodnight and others. And we even have a Ellen Taylor coming and you get to get behind one of her Harness Horse Youth Foundation trotting bread carts and you get to actually drive a harness horse. So pretty cool. So come on. And what, what you've done, How this is n- number 16 for you? For me, yeah. CHA's done, of course, many more than yeah, that. But, but yes, I have put on 16 of them now. So what, what, what's, what are you looking, there's always one thing even when you organize a conference that you're really looking forward to. What's your one thing? I'm going to get to drive one of those trotting breads, Glenn. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. (laughs) I knew it had something to do do with a horse. I knew that, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll probably have to do it when the conference is over, though. Let everyone else play while it's going on, and then we'll get the behind the barn. She'll get to let me do it while nobody else is around. That's going to be so much fun, sitting in the sulky and going fast. Oh, I can't wait. And she has a pacer (laughs) and a trotter. I want to feel the difference. Oh, it'd be so great. There is a difference. You know, there is a difference for sure. My first pony uh, was a pacer, and it was different. <laughs> it was, uh, you you can tell when they're when they're doing their thing. 
for sure. It's interesting to feel the movement in the cart, yeah. you know, based on what they're doing. I'm really excited. Yeah, that'll be fun for you. That'll be great. And but then that's what next week. That is just next week. Yes. Okay, and then you're also going to the Arabian convention coming up, and that's in when November. That is. So for those that are listening, um, that's going to be in November, right at the middle of the month, the 15th through the 17th is their big convention. They have it in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So anybody that owns an Arab, a half Arab, or you're interested in them, it's a fun it's a fun event. They, of course, do their award ceremonies and their general meetings and their rule changes and things. But they also have a lot of keynote speakers like myself and others that come in to provide education. They have a big trade show. So everyone should come to that, too, that live close by. Do you do... Do you do a different keynote for every one of the conferences you do, or do you kind of have a standard? I have, actually, Glenn. I have 28 talks. Wow. <laughs> so I just let them pick what they want, and then I make sure that all of my uh, pictures on the PowerPoint are all Arabians, if I'm at the Arabian Convention or whatever the case may be, and then kind of go down that road. Yeah. I usually give the organizers heart attacks because most of the podcasting conventions that they ask me to speak at, they want uh, you know PowerPoint. They want slides. Uh, they love to have slides. And for a keynote, I always thought slides were a little weird. I can see it for a general session, but for a keynote, I always thought it should be more just you know, coming from the heart and whatever. So I always give them heart attacks because I never have any slides. And I really have never, I, I kind of get an outline in my mind of what I want to talk about, but it just sort of comes out. You know, and see, you're very good and spontaneous. I like my outline, aka PowerPoint, just to mm-hmm. remind me. It just has to have a word, and then I launch into something, right? But boy, I, I want that little word up there to remind me to do the launching into whatever story it is. I've never been good with rules, so I think that's part of it. Is, is <laughs> then that's surprise, a guideline, surprise. and I have to follow it. And then I would have to say, you know, talk about what's on the slide. And by the time I get to the fifth slide, I'm probably going to forgot what I was going to say in the first place. So this way, <laughs> if you do all improv. You, nothing is wrong, right? That is true. Oh, that does not surprise me about you. That's at my all. theory, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I like that theory. That's a good theory. <laughs> so, uh, before we get to our first guest, you also had something down here. I'm curious about what personality style are your horses? What are you talking about? Well, yeah, well, I think that that's something that Amali is going to get into as one of our guests later on today of the show. And it just was interesting to me because I have, you know, two horses and a pony. And I just really feel like the two horses are opposite from each other. So I have what I call a cat horse who's very kind of aloof and, oh, I just don't know if I need to be around you today. And, oh, I'm just going to do my own thing. And then I have the dog horse. He's like, hey, what you doing? Your personal bubble is zero. I'm going to hang my head over your shoulder. And, you know, those that kind of personality style. So I was just wondering what you thought yours were. Uh, well, Scooter, I think, is a permanent puppy. <laughs> just, he's just never gotten out of puppy phase. He, he's one of those that's kind of in your place, and, and he's very vocal like a puppy would be. So when you go out, as soon as we walk the door, he knows at 7 o'clock at night, at night we come out, and his paddock's right by the house. We come out, and he knows we give him his, his like, dinner at that time. So he always screams. And when you come out, he knows when we walk out that door and it's food time, he screams, and then he talks the whole way over, just like a puppy. So I would have to say puppy. Yes, and a never, ever aging one. He'll never become dog. He'll That's just right. be puppy forever. That's right. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Nothing uh, wrong with now, that. Now, J- J- Nigel, I would say, is probably, is there a cross between a dog and a cat? I think there's a cross between any <laughs> animal you would like there to be. <laughs> I think he's kind of got both going, because he really doesn't like to be fussed with. Yet he, when you know, when I'm around him, he's always, in, you know, snuggling up. So I think he's probably more cat, because he doesn't like to be brushed, but he does like to be close. Just, yeah, so a little yeah. bit of both then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think Molly's going to get into like right brain, left brain, introvert, extrovert, all that kind of stuff. So that'll be kind of fun. So listeners can kind of listen to what she has to say and decide for themselves what their own horses are. So we'll, we'll be getting into that. They are different too. And you really don't know do you have them for a few minutes. <laughs> so, that yeah. is true. Yeah. Yes, you can't. The, the first week or two that they're no. at your house, they're probably a little different. That's why we always don't name them until after a couple of weeks till we see what their personality is going to be. And then we name them. Because you just don't know until till it all comes out. I think we should do that with children, too. Oh, I'm sorry, hospital. <laughs> yeah, I'm we're not going to name it for about two years. There. Sorry. Child <laughs> one, go. child two. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe thing one and thing two. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right, uh, first guest is ready. 
I'm excited. So this is Colin Schmidt, who is the CEO of Stable Buzz and has been in the software world and the horse world for over 30 years. He has merged these two worlds together to help keep the horse world more organized and professional. Horse Council British Columbia became his first large client in the late 90s and remains a major one today. Along the way, Colin competed at every World Equestrian Games from 98 through 2010. He founded Vault Canada and was an Equine Canada board member and was also chair of EC's High Performance Committee for six years. As a coach of coaches and a national judge and a clinician, Colin is here today to share some insights on how we can not only preserve equestrian sport for future generations, but how we can grow it too. Hello, Colin. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Now I remember where I know the name. It's we covered him because we did the World Equestrian Games uh, radio show for the 2010 Games. Now I know where that name is. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more, Colin, about your background in vaulting and everything else that you've done in the horse world. Certainly. Well, I grew up on a horse ranch uh, in Chilliwack, uh, just outside of Vancouver, B.C. So we did, uh, of course, uh, riding lessons and trail rides, kids' birthday parties, uh, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so growing up on a horse ranch uh, and then being exposed to uh, vaulting uh, in Chilliwack through the uh, one of the first vaulting clubs in Canada uh, sort of set the stage uh, for the rest of the career. Uh, and uh, on the same time, uh, despite being on a horse ranch, we were just one of the uh, early families to have a computer in the household. Uh, we're talking like pre-DOS here, uh, so just growing up with computers and uh, looking to see uh, how to merge those two things together kind of shapes uh, the direction of the life. It sure does. So now, this is so wonderful what you're getting into now, and we're very excited to share it with everyone. So go ahead, and we're just going to kind of get a little bit 30,000-foot view level here for a second, and, and then we'll talk about your product. So in your opinion, are equestrian sport and horse activities in general growing, or do you feel like they're declining? Sure. Good question. Uh, Basically, in Western society, it is in a slow decline, but it's not something we can't fix or reverse, uh, but it is something we have to as a community deal with. An interesting thing, though, is China China is growing really fast at at this point. Uh, In 2017 to 2018, the number of stables actually grew from just over 1,000 to just under 2,000. So they've almost doubled in that time period. And even the existing stables are having excellent growth within them of about 65% per year. Uh, At the end of uh, 2017, they'd actually reached just over 1 million people in equestrian activities. So worldwide, actually, uh, we're actually in significant growth. Uh, But in some of our societies, uh, we actually have some things to deal with uh, to help us uh, basically uh, preserve the sport for the future. And uh, really, I think we have a a significant potential to grow. Colin, in China, they do it a little bit differently, too. We've, we've interviewed people from there, and they, they have those stables. They're kind of central stables, and then everybody goes to that stable. It tends to be how it is, especially, you know, and Hong Kong does it the same way. Um, it, so it's a little bit different than having, you know, a million people with backyard horses that also compete. Exactly. And uh, it's interesting to compare it to uh, Germany as well. And uh, Germany, they actually have uh, riding stables the same way we have swimming pools and leisure centers here. Uh, there's actually one that's actually owned by the community in every single community. And uh, those have specific programs that are offered across the country uh, in a fairly structured way, which is something that we're, uh, that we're kind of lacking. And it's something that makes uh, the sport uh, in some ways a little bit more commoditized, but uh, really much more accessible. Uh, and uh, the experience is a lot more consistent. Got it. And probably what's going on too, Colin, we have urbanization, right, which is inevitable. Um, so what is your opinion on what the equestrian community can do about that? Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's not like China isn't uh, becoming urbanized, right? Uh, and it's not like Germany has not been urbanized for a long time. So uh, we need a two-prong approach on this. On one hand, we need to have higher density programs. And on the other hand, we need to really be marketing the concept of getting out of the downtown core is good for you. How about, what do you mean higher density programs? Um, well, vaulting is actually a good example. So uh, not to plug uh, my own discipline too much here, but uh, just to use it as an example of what I mean by that. When you can have one horse and you have a class of six to eight uh, children or participants sharing that one horse, you can probably appreciate that when it comes to the landscape, uh, it's the horse that takes up the most amount of space. Uh, in order to give them a good quality of life, we need a certain, we need a good quality of space for them. And uh, if you put too many horses on a small area that you can afford, 
uh, in an urban center, uh, then of course uh, that's going to be a, uh, not the ideal lifestyle for the horse. And at the same time, uh, you can only accommodate so many participants throughout the week. So having something like vaulting where you have uh, more people per horse, uh, but they still have good exposure to the horse, good access to the horse, and uh, uh, at the same time, you can diversify the activities of what the participants are doing during the lesson, which allows you to really focus a bit more on the rider as an athlete approach, which is a good thing. If you were in Germany, to go back to them for a moment, you actually have to start out in their vaulting programs before you're allowed to ride. And the reason for that is it improves the confidence, the balance, and uh, their ability to fall. So there's a lot of good benefits there uh, to really make sure that you start off with an athlete and you train the athlete horse and you train the athlete participant. And it's interesting you mentioned that, Colin, because CHA, we're huge believers in certifying group riding instructors, not private. We feel like if you can handle eight up, you can probably handle one. But we don't know about the other way around because we also feel that, you know, a group riding instructor is going to make a whole lot more money. And a lot of our programs, let's say they only have four horses. Well, they'll have eight students. And during the two-hour course of that time that they're with those kids, they'll have one instructor on the ground taking the four kids and doing parts of the horse or taking apart a bridle, putting it back together. Then they'll have the other four riding. So again, a high density concept. So I think that really makes good sense. Yeah. And uh, what CHA is doing there with your programs, and I'm sure you know, of course, the CHA has a certification program for vaulting as well. So all those things are excellent. Another one to uh, mention is that Equestrian Canada has recently launched a program named Rookie Rider, uh, which is not a vaulting program, but it actually borrows from vaulting uh, in a number of ways to try to increase the the scope of what the uh, children are being taught during the lesson. And we also talked a little bit about kind of professionalism as a whole. Could you go a little bit more into what that means um, and how the horse community can be a part of what that is? Excellent. Yeah. The uh, parents uh, compare us to other sports. It'd be really nice to say, hey, we're the horsey world. Uh, We have a certain lifestyle. We have a certain expectations. Uh, It's another thing, though, when they have an experience across many sports and the experience in equestrian is just not on the same level of professionalism. Uh, It turns out that the number one reason parents take their children out of equestrian sport is actually a lack of professionalism in comparison to these other sports. And uh, where this comes from is simple things like the parents just simply receiving an invoice uh, for a proper receipt, uh, the scheduling process, and how well uh, managed the barn is and how professional, uh, uh, professional they are in their interactions. So what really matters uh, as far as the long-term growth of the sport is we do have to address this now because this is something that has slowly grown over the last 20 years. Uh, and it's something that if we don't fix it now, the effect of a child not having good exposure to a horse as a child means they're not likely to come back to horses as an adult. And that means they're not going to put their children into the sport. So it's really important that we actually do fix this now because the results of it are going to snowball and it's something we're going to see 20, 30 years out from now, the effects of it. Yeah. So I wanted to follow up on that, Christy, with, you know, there's the other side too, where the parents tend to drop them off for the entire day and expect you to babysit them. So, I mean, there is that other side that's always been around. We had that when we had our stables too. So, you know, and uh, I can see exactly what you're talking about because there's so many barns that are just kind of loosey-goosey and it's a place to hang out and play and it's it's not real structured. But that's also part of just hanging out with the horses and and what makes it different than soccer where you drop them off and pick them up an hour and a half later exactly on time. Um, so I don't know. I, I, think, I think I could argue the other side of that a little bit in court. I understand what you're saying about being professional, but I, I almost feel like we can't compare it to soccer or any of those. Sure. Um, I, I actually just love uh, that particular approach um, because I have heard that so many times over the years and that uh, horses, horses are different and horse sport is different. And uh, I say that we need to take it, uh, we need to embrace our advantages, but at the right point. Uh, that's not how the experience should start. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can appreciate the people who are going to be there all day at the barn. They're the ones who are starting to do the barn chores. They're the ones who have already been there long enough to be completely hooked, right? right? And they're the ones that you want to enable to be on the pathway to become the next coaches. On the flip side, the entry-level programs is really what we're talking about here, how you actually uh, get uh, the children to that step. And if the children are taken out of the sport, 
due to a lack of professionalism before they are hooked that much, uh, that's where we're going to fail. And I've seen a lot of people complain, and this is people taking their kids, that one of the biggest complaints they have is it starts late. The instructor starts 20 minutes <laughs> yeah. late because they're, they're, you know, they're on a previous lesson and they're just not on time. And that drives parents crazy. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. Sure. So then they have somewhere else to go afterwards. As a mom of two teenage boys that I still have to drive around a lot. Yeah, we got stuff to do. We, I mean, I think it's great that you want to hang out, but we got to go. We, you know, we have something else we're doing. Right. So I, I, I understand that professionalism concept, Colin. Also from the perspective, this is kind of interesting. I'm going to keep plugging CHA, but one of the five things that we certify on is, you know, group control, teaching techniques, safety, horse and herd management, and professionalism. Because especially back in the day, because, you know, we're 52 years old now, and back in the day, you had some of your, like, camp counselors and stuff showing up in, oh, tank tops to teach riding and showing up in shorts with their boots to teach riding, and right, and not wearing a helmet, though they were requiring all their students to wear helmets, just those kinds of things that are very unprofessional. So that's a big part of what we do as well. So I can definitely see this and what you mean by it. So what are your thoughts, Colin, on how other sports and activities have increased their professionalism and how the equestrian community could follow? Yes, of course. This is uh, where the software background comes in. So uh, even just when we had our little uh, ranch uh, growing up as a kid, uh, I was actually writing little software programs to help keep us organized. Uh, and uh, it was always, uh, as we worked with uh, equestrian nonprofit organizations and whatnot, it was always a goal to be able to actually write a real proper system uh, that is going to allow us to have the same level of uh, software to help equestrian sports that other sports benefit from. And uh, the professionalism that uh, professional software can provide a sport organization, whether it's gymnastics, swimming, dance, uh, team sports, uh, all of them have been using software like this for, honestly, at this point, at least a decade, if not two decades. And that's what we're competing against. And for them, it's kind of a no-brainer. It's just the way that they're expected to do business. Whereas on our side, it's not yet a no-brainer uh, by any means. Uh, and it's something that a lot of people would have a bit of a resistance to. Uh, and it takes uh, a bit of education uh, that, uh, uh, hey, this is the new expectation from the customer's perspective. Uh, and uh, that's one piece of the puzzle. And the other piece of the puzzle, honestly, is just simply embracing the benefits. Uh, so it's really important uh, that uh, our parents are going to have an experience where the scheduling process uh, is going to be consistent. It's easy to see the schedule. Uh, they should be able to check the schedule online. Uh, they should be able to receive their invoices just via an email. It should be easy to pay in advance or after the fact, uh, just with your credit card or online debit and that sort of thing. So it's got to be really uh, slick, and it's got to be something that uh, really, again, aligns with the expectations from the other sports. We're not talking about changing the way you actually run your programs inside of your stable. We're talking about just helping you be more organized in a way that brings the parents into the picture. So we've got good traditional routes that are a huge asset, uh, but on the business side, we really do need solutions like this in order to help us move forward. So from a time perspective, how long would it take somebody once they got, let's say, your platform to set it all up and make it work and run for them? Oh, yeah. Excellent question. The thing is, uh, this is going to be integrated into the basis of your um, the way you run your business. So uh, there's always going to be some change to go with this, but it's important that the software can be flexible for different business models. And it's amazing how many different business models we see across equestrian sport. Uh, there's a big difference between, of course, a drop-in program and being able to book on the fly uh, compared to being in a regular lesson program where you purchase a block of lessons at a time versus uh, booking them just on a ongoing weekly basis. So these different uh, business models, even do you pay in advance or pay after the fact, weekly or monthly, all of these things have to be worked through, of course, and the software has to support it. Uh, so what matters as you adopt the software is you've got to have enough training to make it work. Uh, so we actually put a considerable amount of training into each new customer who comes in on board with us uh, to make sure that they're successful with that process. It'll take a couple weeks uh, for them to a, receive the training and uh, actually be able to be comfortable with it before launching typically. Uh, and uh, it's an important uh, to work through the different scenarios in advance. But even once they're live, uh, the training can continue. Uh, we're there to support them indefinitely. Uh, and uh, that's what's going to make a success. But count on a couple of weeks to get up to speed. Uh, and uh, probably you want to go live uh, with it to your coaches and your customers uh, in about weeks uh, three and four. 
That's pretty speedy for them. I think that's great. So is it something that can be used on a Mac or a PC? Yes, for sure. Now, this is, uh, Stable Buzz is a web app, uh, which uh, allows it to work on your Mac, your PC, on any type of smartphone. Uh, and uh, you're looking at the same, uh, the same data regardless of where you are. So you're not worried about synchronization issues here and those sorts of things. And, uh, of course, it really is important that uh, it's uh, something that's really helps save your battery. Uh, we're going to be running around the barn all day long, and you, people use their phones uh, enough the way it is. And uh, you have some heavy lift apps out there like Facebook and Instagram that will eat up your battery pretty good. So it's important that we do everything we can to help save that battery life as well. So right after I'm done with my lesson, I can go on my phone, I can go into the app, and I could put it in so that it goes through the billing and I don't forget it. Exactly. Okay. The most important uh, uh, thing is that uh, we don't miss this billing information. So to have one place where you can be looking at the invoice for a customer, see what you've billed them for, see what they've actually done in the events, uh, and being able to see, oh, this event was canceled and whatnot, those sorts of scenarios, uh, it's really important to have one single view of that for your customer. Got it. That's good. I'll tell you, I am old school and a lot of my clients will still say, seriously, you're not on Venmo. You're not on whatever. I've got to write you a check. One of them even said to me, you are the only reason I even get checks anymore. So I probably need to get a little bit more new school and I only teach very, very part time now. But this this all makes a lot of sense to help people get get more modern for sure. So, Colin, how do folks find you and how do they find Stable Buzz? What do they do? To hunt you down. Sure. Uh, the easiest way to find us is honestly just go to stablebuzz.com. Uh, so it's a pretty easy domain name to remember. So just stablebuzz.com. Uh, that's going to, of course, be the marketing site. So they'll share more information about the uh, software with you. Uh, and when you're ready to go, just book a demo with us is really the first step. Uh, you can sign up and list your stable in our directory for free, by the way. And our online release form system is also free. So if you just want to kind of explore the ropes, uh, feel free to just uh, try out uh, those two features, get yourself in our directory uh, and play with the online release form system and reach out to us for a demo and some initial training uh, because that communication is going to help us uh, help you succeed. That is such a good idea to have online release forms too because those are things that I know a lot of people struggle with. And then I'm assuming that once they get that online release form, then they certainly have to run it by their own equine lawyer in their state or province just to make sure they're covering all their bases locally, right? Yeah, we actually let you put your existing release form right into the system. So we don't provide you the release form. We just provide the way for you to put your form into our system. You can then easily send out the email to your customers who can then sign it uh, just uh, scribbling with their finger on their phone or on a tablet or using the mouse on their PC or uh, on their Mac in order to be able to sign it. Uh, so the digital signing really helps you not lose the release forms. We've had some of our the largest stables have admitted to us that they've lost critical release forms where there was actually an unfortunate accident. So it happens to the best of us. Uh, so having these uh, stored online is going to be a faster to get them signed in advance before they even show up on your property, as well as it's going to be, of course, uh, saved and protected. I can tell you where to find those release forms because I'm a horse husband. You can find them buried under the back seat of the truck because that's where they put them, intending <laughs> to put them in the office, and they never made it. And now it's under the saddles and the saddle pads and all that stuff. <laughs> that's where you're going to find those release forms, guaranteed. Back seat of the truck. Yep. <laughs> That is a very good point. Well, Colin, we so appreciate you being on the show. I think this is just a really unique and um, good idea, you know, and I love how you kind of led into it with the whole concept of professionalism, and it was it was really good. So thank you again, and once again, go ahead and say the website for everybody. Sure, that's StableBuzz.com. Thanks, Colin. Thank and you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. He is right about professionalism because we've all seen, uh, you know, the the nightmare scenarios. And, you know, that's oh, what you guys yes. work on full time. Yes, we do. That is that is correct. And I'll tell you the whole, but it really did just happen to me the other day. The clients, the mom going, you're really the only person I get checks for. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> so maybe I need to get a little bit more modern. <laughs> yeah, at least PayPal, Christy. <laughs> I know, exactly. Jeez. I would it's, just rather cash. I'm trying to convince them all just to give me cash. I know, that never works anymore. That Less and less no. cash every day now. Dang it. Yeah, that doesn't work as good as well. Um 
Well, I hope that, uh, you know, there's been a couple programs like this. I hope that uh, this one takes off because it is needed. There's no question about it. And anything you can do to make that whole process simpler is because we, horse people tend to lose things, you know? Oh, and uh, it's painful for yeah. us. We don't want to be in front of our computer. Right, it's exactly. So if we could make it easy and have somebody else do it for us and, you know, the price is decent, we're going to do it. Right. So, Yeah. Exactly. It'll be it'll be interesting. I'm I, I'm loving that he's giving some free stuff though to kind of entice them to come check it out. That's a very smart move. Yep. And then they can see it, check it out, and then kind of decide if it's going to work for them or in their budget. All right, you got a bunch of guests coming up next. It's yes, Canadian. I it's Canada do. Day here. Is it? Well, our first one was Canadian. Yes, but yeah. these are Ohioans. Oh, Ohio. These are all okay. from Ohio. Gotcha. Yes. All right, so I've got a bunch on, so I'm going to just go through really quick and do some brief introductions. So Tammy Gaynor is currently our CHA president and also a master-level instructor and clinician for us, and she runs Pegasus Farm in Ohio, which um, serves 275-plus students each week in many different areas, including riding, driving, vaulting, veterans, and youth at-risk programs. Um, Diana Beersley is also on the phone today, and she is CHA Certified English Western Riding Instructor and a clinician also of our Instructors of Riders with Disabilities program and a PATH International Registered Instructor, Driving Instructor, and Equine Specialist. She also works for Pegasus. And then Celia King is the lead consultant at Aaron's McSwain Team Building, and she teaches leaders how to coach their team here. She's very experienced with the Myers-Briggs, I am an ENFJ, by the way, to give clients a logical framework to understand how people are wired. And she uses equine-assisted learning to help leaders develop the intuition necessary to work with people. So what's fun about this is that you have combined these three ladies, and they're going to be doing a talk at our conference called Coaching Leaders Using Horsemanship Connect. So they're all on today to teach us a little bit more about that. So hello, ladies. Hello. 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 This is wonderful. We can hear you all simultaneously. It's exciting. <laughs> Isn't that great? We're all I like it. separate lines together in the same room. That's wonderful. Very good. So go ahead and let us know a little bit more about how you all came together and decided to do this type of work. I think I'll speak to that. Uh, this is Tammy. Um, we, Celia has actually been a volunteer here at Pegasus for the last, um, four or five years. And, um, she and I just started a conversation one evening about, um, what she was looking to incorporate horses into her team building business. And the conversations just kept getting more frequent and longer. And we really started talking about this was a partnership and adventure that we would all like to, um, walk together and we have a separate property, the Military Family Center, um, that is set up very different than Pegasus Farm and we just felt like this would be a great program um, to do down there. And so we have started about two years, um, started working with some of Celia's clients there and the business is continuing to grow. I think it sounds really good. I have another friend of mine who does this. She's actually right now in Pennsylvania, and they're doing some leadership coaching. This is definitely something that is continuing to grow. Now, this group, though, they do it with a round pen and a horse in a round pen and then having a conversation about you know that type of work. Um, but I know you do yours. Not Do you do both ground and mounted work? How does, how does yours work in, in comparison to that? We actually um, do all unmounted work. Um, we do, uh, because Celia's program is set up in a 12-week session, um, we have the opportunity to start with the basics and then work through. And some of her clients have, you know, progressed to round 10 work. So we do use that, but we have the advantage of having, you know, uh, different options. We have an indoor arena, an outdoor arena, and then also a round 10. So you use EAL. Let's go ahead and explain what that acronym is to people. I guess that's me. Uh, this is Diana. Um, so I'll read off the um, definition. EAL is experiential learning approach that promotes the development of life skills for educational, professional, and or personal goals through the interaction with horses. Um, it really depends on who is providing the the work. Uh, if, if you're going through a life coach, through teachers, through 
um, different consultants and also what the focus is, uh, whether it is teamwork, relationship building, uh, academic skills, self-esteem. It covers a wide range of um, options and possibilities. Well, I'm glad we're talking about that acronym because it's being used more and more. You know, equine assisted learning is definitely something that more and more people are understanding and wanting to learn more about. So what exactly do you do with when you train business leaders using the horsemanship connection? Well, this is Celia answering that question. And it for us, it starts with me spending some time with the leader, with the client, getting to know them, figuring out their context, um, I specialize in helping specifically working with the leadership skills required in leading a team. So leadership is a really big word. And so having that particular um, narrow focus even helps clients understand what it is they'll be paying attention to. And for the 12-session program that we're mostly running right now, um, clients spend three office consultations with me. We get to know each other well. We really focus on a particular goal. They do some in-depth work on the Myers-Briggs so that they have a, a, a deep, like logical understanding of how they're wired and how that's affecting their communication with the other people on their team. And then from there, we come out to do some of the, the more horsemanship pieces because that helps develop the uh, boy, I, it, one of the things we run into is having the difficulty of even explaining it because for our clients, they talk about the horsemanship piece being the invisible, um, intuitive parts of working with people. That thing that everybody really understands is happening that you just get a, a feel for what it's like to be around somebody, but we don't have very many places to practice or develop that. And then, of course, with horses, they require it, and so then they can um, develop those intuitive skills in the arena. So when you're at our conference next week and you have an hour and 15 minutes or so to explain all of this, um, how are you going to do that? What is what is your plan for that? <laughs> Well, you're asking a question we've been asking for a while. Um, we'll talk a little bit just in storytelling pieces of how we came to it, because as we talk to other people who are doing this work, it, it does seem to matter that you bring what is most natural to you into it um, so that like you got to think about your particular setting, your particular skills, your particular abilities to work with specific clients. Um, we'll describe and define equine-assisted learning a little bit because just like you already said, it um, there are so many words out there and so many ways to do it, even figuring out what you're talking about matters. Um, we'll talk a little bit about how to choose horses for this work and uh, what the equine professional brings to it. And then we'll offer a handout of some of the vocabulary that we've developed and been trying to use because the real the real importance of this work is to make what happens with the horses then connect to what's happening back at work. So if in this work, people are just coming out and having a pleasant experience with horses, but not having that carry over then to how they're working with their team or how they're leading meetings or how they're doing performance reviews, then it just doesn't have the effect that they're after. So the choosing the horses fascinates me because, you know, you've, of course, we have personality styles, and we know that all of our horses have personality styles. Do you think you could attach a Meyer Briggs label to some of our horses there in INTJ or, or whatever the case may be? Because I just find that that, that whole thing fascinating because every horse is definitely not a robot. They are all their own entity for sure. Yeah, they absolutely are. And Chrissy, you know, this is a discussion that we've been having for several weeks in preparation for this workshop. And that's my piece <laughs> of a portion of the workshop is, yeah, you know, the horses are not human, but there's certainly we can place personality traits and characteristics and behaviors uh, to them. So, you know, in looking at horses to do this work, um, looking at horses and, you know, searching for the right words that doesn't humanize the horses, but yet, you know, horses that are, that have great life experience, that are confident, um, you know, are very, they have um, distinctive personalities, um, you know, for the work and different, you know, different variants of sensitivity, 
and spatial, all of the things that are natural to them in their herd um, and being able to use those um, to further um, what Celia is working on with the client. So how can other equine professionals that are listening right now think, huh, I want to get started in this work, but I just don't know how. What are some steps that you would advise them that they should take? Well, I would start by just developing a curiosity about it and recognizing that there are a lot of resources out there. Um, when I went for my first training on this and Tammy and I were just beginning to, to talk about it, I said, Tammy, how do I know if this is a, a good training or I'm getting good information? And she said, well, you're a consultant, aren't you? <laughs> Haven't you seen good training? And I just laughed. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. You've got to bring some common sense into it. So I would just start by getting getting curious. Look at some training. Look at some programs that are out there. Call people up and find out what it is that they are teaching. Um, I'd ask questions around safety as well. I mean, one of the things that I really like about being connected with CHA is the uh, the the motto or the mission statement of changing lives through safe experience with horses. So, um, in any part of your training, you're looking at is this going to equip me to help the particular clients that I'm suited to work with safely experience horses in a way that has an effect on their lives once they leave the arena. Um, Come to our workshop on the opening night there of the CHA conference, and we'll be offering some other resources. We're happy to talk to people there. One of the great things about being at a conference is having time and space for these casual conversations to take place. The three of us are also in the process of developing some resources that we expect to offer in the next year or so to help people move along in their own understanding of how to do the EAL work. So what are the three elements that consistently show up? Do you have three elements for both horses and people that just keep appearing all the time? Uh, we do. Yeah. I mean, the in the first one, excuse me, the first one is empathy, which is a word that sometimes people use to think it means like, oh, a softness and just, you know, I feel for the other person. But really, it's quite a bit deeper than that. It has to do with really understanding what the other person brings. So when you're working with a horse, sometimes the reaction you're getting is because of something the horse brought into the arena. Sometimes it's because of something that you're offering. How is it that you can pay attention to the other, whether that's the horse or the person on your team, and let that shape your interactions? Secondly is communication skills. Horses pay attention to both verbal and nonverbal cues, and of course, so do people. And a lot of times when I'm working with people, they're wanting to have a particular set of communication skills that will kind of fix whatever problem they're having. But the truth is that those skills are only one part of it. And then the third thing, and this is that part that is much easier to experience in the arena than to try to explain, is that sense of energy or presence how it is that with horses you can manage your energy and apply pressure in particular ways. That same thing happens to people. I mean, we've all been in meetings where you recognize that the room is excited or anxious or celebratory and that you're needing the leader to manage that energy in a way that is helpful to people. And then so the horses help them practice that. I love that you're all doing this work because we have all had, everyone listening to the show today, a bad boss. We have all had an obnoxious leader leading us. And if we could, and I know not everybody's coachable, but for those that are coachable and open to new ideas, what a great way and an out-of-the-box way to do this instead of just sitting somebody in a classroom and saying, you got to be nicer, right? This is a way of showing, look what your energy is doing to that horse. Stop with that type of energy, right? We need to dial it down or we need to whatever the case may be. So I think this is just a great way to show people um, and, you know, we always talk about in CHA, visual, kinesthetic, and auditory. And you're going to capture all of those types of learners with this type of work. So, ladies, I have to ask, is that kind of boss she's talking about ever going to come around, no matter what you do? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, all of us have behaviors for a reason. And we can recognize those and name those when a horse points it out much better than we can when people do. Because a horse has no... I don't know, no skin in the battle. They're just being a horse. And it's not just that people are obnoxious. I mean, nobody wakes up and says, today I'll be an obnoxious boss. They're all trying to do the best work that they can with sometimes a limited set of skills. 
And it's interesting, too. Sometimes bosses that are maybe not obnoxious but are really trying hard to be empathic and understanding, sometimes they're not getting the results they need out of people because what they need to learn how to do is help people be held a little more accountable. So we spend just as much time in the arena with that element as we do with the obnoxious pieces. Hmm. That makes sense. It's going to be fun to see it in action, ladies. It'll be fun to hear more about it um, in just a week. Can't believe it. It's coming up very quick. It'll be very fun. So in the meantime, for those folks that can't come to New York and play with us next week, how do they find you three? How do they find out more about this program if they want to contact you? They can find us on our on my website. I'm with Arents McSwain Team Building, and I'll spell it for you. It's ArrantsMcSwain.com. A R R A N T S M C S W A I N dot com. Arents McSwain. Well, wonderful, ladies. Thank you so much for being on the show, and all of you together, since you're going to be team teaching this, talking about team building, your team teaching. It'll be wonderful to have you next week, and we appreciate you sharing it with a larger audience today. Well, thanks for asking us about it. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have fun next week. Thanks. Thanks. All right. So um, you got some different stuff happening uh, this time. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, that's what's so much fun about all breed, all discipline. You know, we can really go a variety of ways and just really have a super good time with it. And have you ever seen any of this kind of leadership thing in action using horses? Not using horses. Obviously, I was in the business world for a long time, so we all did you know, those mandatory meetings that we all went, oh, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, had it's a few much more fun the with years. a horse. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. There's something about it with a horse. I think it. the time goes faster. It's not as painful. People look more forward to it because it's out of the box. It's something different. And it's really taking on a life of its own. Um, there's a lot of people starting to do this work. And companies are understanding it and they're really starting to think that, you know, they all have money in their budgets for team building exercises and trainings and education for their staff. I can see once they try it and it works and they get a better response because the other team building things that have been around for a thousand years, people don't look forward to them. Correct. You know, you got to find stuff that people look forward to. Otherwise it just becomes a drag. And I'm not sure you get a lot of, there was a lot of them I didn't get a lot out of. No. So this way, it's one more way to, you know, utilize those horses that you have on your property that might not be rideable even, right? I mean, because it's all groundwork, a lot of it is. So some of your pasture ornaments, your older horses, your ones that are in rehab right now and are going to be off for six weeks, right? This gives them another job. I mean, it's kind of an interesting concept because a lot of this work's done at the walk and leading and things like that. It's it's pretty interesting. It is, but it's teaching it in a different way. It's teaching it in a way that helps them realize that what they just learned affects what they're going to do in the office, um, which is, which requires the instructors to be thinking in a different way. Uh huh. You're not just teaching up down, right? You're, yeah, you know, you, it, it's completely different than that because you're teaching. Correct. It's a lot of psychology involved here. Yes. Yeah. It's very huh. interesting, and I, I'd I'd love to see one in action because I think that uh, you know I, we both, you and I both, have been in the corporate world a long time, and have done enough of the other ones. You know, fall backwards and we'll all catch you. You know, maybe. Uh, maybe you and I will have a future <laughs> career when we're done with what we're doing now, Glenn. Oh, there we go. <laughs> all right, well, our- you're, yeah, you're just lined them up today. I know. I'm so excited to have Molly on. So Molly Vega was your typical horse crazy kid, eager to learn all the things the horse world had to offer. She's been a licensed pearly instructor since 08 and has traveled all over the world to help horses and their humans find more success together. Molly also consults horse owners on their horse's health and wellness through young living essential oils and other natural modalities. Molly also has her own private label for horse feed called Green Horse. Hi, Molly. How are you today? Hi, I'm great. I'm excited to be here. So We're does so the only green horses allowed to eat the feed? <laughs> great question. Green, like eco, like Oh, natural. okay, got it. All right, good. Because I thought there was a limited market there. I thought, you know. Well, I was thinking green like the ones that aren't trained yet. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> Not a limited market in those. Ah, <laughs> uh, True. <laughs> So, Molly, go ahead and explain to us, where do you live and um, so that listeners that are near you might be able to relate more? Where are you right now? Oh, awesome. I live south of Buffalo, New York, 
And so not New York City. We live more toward, closer to Niagara Falls, if you can envision that. We're having a gorgeous fall day. We have a really beautiful, distinct change of seasons, and we're having stunning color in our leaves right now. And we're really experiencing the transition and shift headed towards winter. Molly, I am so excited because when we're there next week, it looks like it's going to be the height of the color. So we're all going to get to see it. It's treat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're so excited. That'll be wonderful. So speaking of next week, go ahead and explain to folks what your talk is going to be um, at our annual conference. Yeah, great. So um, like you, like my bio said, I am a licensed Pirelli instruct- instructor and, you know, something, there's a lot of natural horsemanship is a buzzword and, you know, somewhat popular these days. And, um, but how Pirelli is really different. And I heard you guys say this just right before I came on is you said the word psychology. And I think it's really pertinent because I'm going to be speaking about horse analogies. We say horse personalities, but horse analogies. And this is nothing more than helping horses or people understand their horses. So instead of bad horse, bad horse, or what's wrong with my horse, we can really look at horses in a different way and understand them for who they are innately. Look at them as extroverts and introverts. Are they using their, their right brain or their prey animal side of their brain? Or are they using their thinking intuitive side of their brain? And really where the training and the confidence happens. So we're going to dive deep into that and give um, the people who are there in the audience some real concrete ways so that they can watch and identify horses that they are either training or underneath their students and give them some strategies to be able to help those horses come more into balance and be more confident and able to learn and retain information. Glenn and I were talking at the beginning of the show, you know, we all have, we own horses and we were talking about if they were cat or dog horses. So we didn't go quite as in depth as you are doing, but we said that we have cat personality horses, dog personality horses, and he has a puppy personality horse, or actually pony. (laughs) And so we were having that conversation because you're right. Every horse is its own unique entity um, and how they interact with you and how you interact with them is based a lot on your own personalities too, and how your personality either rubs theirs the wrong way or works, uh, depending on what you're asking them to do. So I think it's a really fun topic. Yeah, you bet. You got it. So explain how the different personality styles you see in horses. Go ahead and explain a little bit more about what are their behaviors that you see that you think, oh, they're introverted, or what are their behaviors that you see in them that you go, oh, they're extroverted, for example. Okay. Yeah, great. So simply, I'm just going to keep it super simple. And actually next week I'll have some live examples where people will be able to see it in real time. But, and I might even do a little bit of explaining just about, you know, even in people, because sometimes it's easier to relate in people, but it's similar. Um, So let's just look at introvert versus extrovert. The introvert horses are the ones that are probably standing around more often. They're not moving their feet as often. Or in a person, they probably don't talk as much. And your extrovert horse, you know, you bring that horse into the arena and it's, you know, its feet are moving. It maybe has to do circles. Maybe you have to warm it up. Your warm-ups will be so different between your introvert and extrovert. And therefore, you'll have more of a successful training session if you land with the right training techniques for that introvert or extrovert. And your extroverted people talk more. If you put gum in a person's mouth and they're like, chomp, 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 that's more of an extrovert. If you put gum in an introvert's mouth, they're, they only chew it every once in a while. It's not, neither one is better than the other, but choosing the right job for that introverted or extroverted horse is going to help you as a trainer and as a rider. I love that. That just gives us more tools in our toolbox as instructors when we're working with people and more tools in our toolbox as trainers when we're working with horses. Yes, very good. Exactly. You wouldn't take you wouldn't take a horse that is just raring to go and put a kit on them and send them out on a trail ride. You'll have a recipe for a disaster. But the horse that doesn't want to do a lot of work, that's the perfect um, horse to put a kit on and send out on a trail ride. So what are some of the groundwork ideas? What are what are some of the movements? I mean, are we talking round pending, lunging? What are we talking um, about groundwork that works with some of these situations? All of it. For different personality or different horsenalities, because 
um, you know, if you have a horse that needs to move its feet, we say, well, great, let's encourage that. Let's, instead of shutting it down and again saying bad horse, bad horse, we might encourage it. We might give it some purpose. Maybe that would be a lunging situation because sometimes horses need to get some adrenaline out. Or maybe it would be sending them in a figure eight pattern. Um, and uh, the opposite would be true with an introvert. You might need to walk into an arena with an introvert and they might just need to stand still and look around for five or 10 minutes and you'll feel like you're watching paint dry, but that is actually what they need to gain more confidence in their environment and what's going to happen next. Because oftentimes what we do as humans is we assume that those quiet horses that aren't doing very much, oh, they're good to go. And then we proceed to put pressure on them, even if we're, we have good intentions and it heightens and it heightens and it heightens and it, they explode. And so, and that's more of the right brain introvert horse, the one that is, you know, is in its, uh, you know, innate brain that is saying, where's the fear? Oh, that mirror is scary. Oh, that bag is going to eat me. And when you put pressure on those horses, all they can think about is taking care of self and taking care of that prey animal that's in, in that skin. And so they're not trying to hurt you. They're literally trying to stay alive. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And I just love that you're, um, that this work is getting to be a little bit more known and that people are kind of understanding that horses are not just tools to be used. They're their own entity. They have their own personality and we need to give them that respect and we need to go ahead and make sure that they also are enjoying their job. You know, the square peg round hole idea is not good. And we've often thought about this with disciplines, right? Like it's saying, oh, I'm going to slow this horse down that has all this energy and make it a Western pleasure horse. Yeah, that probably isn't going to work so well. So being able to do the same thing in regards to not discipline now, but the horsonality of the animal, I think is a great way to make sure that that animal is also doing a job that they really enjoy. This is kind of just an offshoot to, Absolutely. this is kind of an offshoot. We have Dr. Wendy on, who's a traditional Chinese medicine doctor and a veterinarian. And <clears throat> we've been talking for years about the, how the Chinese look at the different, you know, whether you're a water or a fire, or, you know, earth or whatever your personality is and what that entails and what are the pieces of those personalities are. And this is kind of, kind of an offshoot of that. Yeah. And honestly, it's, you know, there's, I mean, if you have done any work in psychology or leadership training or had any exposure with um, just understanding people, you're going to hear about things like Anagram and, and Myers-Briggs or maybe the color personalities. You know, people have been trying to figure each other out forever. I mean, the classic example is that the husband and the wife with the opposite personalities marry each other because opposites attract and then they spend the rest of their lives trying to figure each other out. It's classic. And, you know, so, but it's the same principles where um, we've just, you know, people who are, who are want mastery in anything, it's a lifelong journey. And so they go, okay, why did X work on this horse? Why did Y work on this horse? And the more they're able to make observations and have experience and time and grade in the atmosphere, they are able to actually gain more knowledge, gain more resources. And it, it definitely syncs up. I use a holistic vet and I really am attracted to natural modalities with my horses and, and my, my dogs and <clears throat> chickens and everything on our, on our farm. But, um, and it, it absolutely makes sense, even for people, the way we transition our health through the seasons, the way we, um, the way, the way pressure of the seasons affects us, the way pressure of just training or learning new information, anything affects us, all comes back into what is innate inside of us. It really connects down to our endocrine system. And the same is true for people and horses. And people with horses. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> you know, and actually, Wendy, as uh, we've had a couple of the hosts on over time, so we've had horses that they just you were having trouble with, and she kind of went through and, and figured out what they were on the Chinese scale, and they were not matches. You know, they just weren't matches. <laughs> it's just, and you have that yep. sometimes, too. I mean, you have that in people, right? Uh, there's just some people, the minute yeah. you, you meet them, you're, not, you're never going to be friends with them. It's just, you know, that's just the way it is. And it's okay. And it's okay. Right. Exactly. You don't need to be and friends with them. <laughs> so, right. I agree. Well, Molly, we're so excited to have you next week. Not only are you going to be doing this talk for us, but, but you're also going to have a booth. So what can people find when they come and visit you at your booth? 
Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So um, one of, because I traveled to Pat and Linda and we traveled all around the country, um, something that I was uh, fortunate to be exposed to was some, some natural modalities to health and wellness. Because when you're traveling, especially out west, it's not like on the East Coast where you can get a, a get to a vet or a vet to you, you know, in no time flat. I mean, we're fortunate that we're by, you know, veterinary universities and, you know, you can get an emergency covered in, you know, split seconds. But when you're traveling out west, you know, even some of the places in the world that I've traveled, you know, sometimes you might wait six hours or a whole day and man, you better have some tools in your toolbox. And I was so fortunate to learn about essential oils and how they could support the horses and you know, we've had so much success with just like the day-to-day things. Also, when you're traveling, you know, different things can come up, you know, upset stomachs or you get an injury that you weren't, you know, had, you know, they had there that you can really support your animals. Um, I use photonic therapy, helping people really understand nutrition. So I'll have a sampling of all of that. Um, I, you know, I really teach people a lot about the essential oils because they're so small and easy to pack that you can have 10 or 15 oils on you and you can really make a difference for yourself and for your animals when you're on the road. So when you're at a show or on a trail ride, you know, you can really feel equipped. So I'll be sharing a lot of that with people at my booth. Well, it's going to be a pleasure to have you. In the meantime, though, for people that cannot come to our conference next week, what is a good way to find you now, track you down, and talk to you more about everything that you do? Yeah, that's great. So I'm on Instagram, so at Molly Vacco, M-O-L-L-I-E, V like Victor, A-C-C-O. Um, also, my website is mollyvaco.com, and my Green Horse website is greenhorse.us, and I go through um, my feed and why I feed that way and, um, you know, different components to that. So any of those avenues, people can look me up, and I'd love to connect with them. Well, Molly, thanks again for being on the show. I think it's going to be a really fun session at conference next week, and we're looking forward to having you. Thank you so much. Can't wait. Goodbye. So, so um, have you have you thought have you have you ever done the Chinese side? No, we may have to have Wendy on someday to talk about you and your horse. And- Doing yes. a little analyzing because they've been doing this for thousands of years, you know. Yes, I would enjoy that because you know I have the cat and the dog horse, but there's one that I resonate with more than the other. So I wonder what that says about me, uh-huh. or what it says about the horse. Uh huh. <laughs> I think that's interesting. Either way, uh-huh. <laughs> one of the yeah. <laughs> I love that kind of work. I love that stuff. I think that that stuff is just so neat to just. I don't know. It's not just your typical day to day, right? It makes you think. Huh. Never thought of it like that before. It's kind of been a whole show. I've never thought of it like that before. I like that. Well, and you know, you we do it every day. I mean, we do it every day with the people we meet, with the animals we meet. We we do we're we're subconsciously doing that analyzation with everybody we meet. You know, they said never judge people, but we all do, right? I oh, mean, we can't help ourselves. No, yeah, it's that's, just nature. I mean, I don't know if yeah, it's, it's judging natural. or just reading. You know, I I think right. that you can read somebody without judging them. Uh, you know, I think that at some point you get to judging. I mean, everybody does, whether you want to or not. I think that's kind of subconscious, right? Um, right. And some people are are less judgy than others. Um, right. True. You know, too. And I think horses are a little bit that way, too. They're looking at us going, you know, they're judging us immediately. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> I know. And nobody's telling them that that's rude and that no. they shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no. They're immediately making an assessment and going, okay, prey or, or you know, predator or not. Uh, you know, am I going to like this person or not? Um, and, th- you know, they're making those decisions immediately. Dogs are, you know, obviously the ones we talk about being the best at it. Yes. Uh, over time. Um, okay. Have you ever had a horse where you went, okay, this horse isn't, this, we're not getting along and this is not my, th- we're not g- ever going to get along. Oh, yeah. And then there's this wonderful thing called for sale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so w- is there one in particular that you go, okay, that particular horse, uh, what was it about that horse? Well, you have to realize my perspective. My perspective is as a riding instructor. So it, she would come into season hard mm-hmm. and I tried regimate, I tried some stuff. And at the time you couldn't laparoscopically go in and spay them. So it was like outrageously expensive to spay a mare and it still can be 
depending on if you have a, you know, you, a vet school near you or whatever the case may be. So that was not an option for me. And when she would cycle, I just couldn't teach on her. And I only ever owned two horses at a time. So there was half my income. And it's like, you know, this is not working. She was, and she was just kind of, I don't know, kind of crabby. Like, I don't think she liked being a lesson horse and some don't, right? She wanted to be a one horse kind of gal. And that was not going to be what she could do with me. So I found her a home that she was with one of my students and she still is with that student. And she's just a one horse, one person combo. And I think it works out really well. Yeah. I know we've had a few over the years um, <laughs> that uh, have been interesting. And, you know, and it just meant they needed to move on to somebody who was good doing the things that, you know, the horse wanted to do. Yes. Uh, yeah. And that's that whole square peg round hole, right? I just think that that is just, we do that so often. I think as mothers and fathers, we do it to our children too. Um, I'm experiencing as they're being (laughs) teenagers. (laughs) You would make more money if you'd go down this track. Why do you want to be an artist, for example, right? right? (laughs) Whatever the case may be. Um, But I think we do it to our animals too. And you know who we don't do it to? We don't do it to our cats. Because no, because you get that... your face scratched off. Correct. It's going to be what <laughs> it's going to be. <laughs> That's why nobody does anything to a cat. <laughs> Let it be. <laughs> it's just the safest route. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Boy, you know, and it, it was interesting what she said about spouses, too. I mean, we've been married 32 years, and we are opposite in many ways and still, still trying to figure things out. I, you know, yeah. I think what happens, to be honest, is you get older. You've been married, what, 20 years? What, no, not, now, yeah. yeah. So um, what happens is you just get more tired and you're less apt to want to <laughs> d- deal with it. <laughs> just go along. Right, Jennifer? Yeah. Right? She's nodding. I'm just too tired for that. I'm just too tired. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> where it's can correct. people find what's the code again for HRN listeners for the conference next week? And it where do they go? HRN. Yes, it's HRN. And they go to um, CHA.horse, click on the International Conference tab, scroll to the bottom, and it'll say register now. And then you can put in HRN and get the CHA member rate. Um, we not only have full conference rate that includes every single meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We also have day rate that includes your meals for that particular day. And so many sessions. We have 48 speakers coming. Uh, so we have a bunch of great roundtable talks that are going to go on Thursday night where you can actually get to six out of the 11 of them in the two-hour period. These were doing 20 minutes for each one. Then on Wednesday night, we have Equus Film Foundation coming, and they're going to be showing three fabulous movies for people that are there with popcorn included. We're going to have a great time. And then, of course, we have our annual awards banquet on Friday night. And then Saturday night, we're going to do another full day of speakers. And then that evening, it's funny, this has become the personality show. I should change the title. Uh, In the evening, Ann Brzezicki, who's one of our board members and myself, we're, we're real color trainers. And I know Molly brought up the color personality, and I am actually a trainer for that. And we're going to be doing a real colors personality training session so that you can find out more about yourself and your students if you're an instructor and how to work with the more difficult ones the more challenging ones and not consider them difficult or challenging but just learn about their personality style and communicate with them in a different way very good so thank you so much christy for joining us again uh we'll be back tomorrow here on horses in the morning with jamie and get your ads in for really bad ads on friday to jennifer at horseradionetwork.com on tomorrow morning show we have an announcement about a halloween contest that we run every year so the good folks at horse nation are going to join us tomorrow morning and we'll be making the announcement about that and our, our annual halloween episode is coming up on the 31st so i get to get the spooky music out for that that's right exactly (laughs) thanks christy good luck at the conference next week thank you all right everybody